Hello and welcome to the Old Time Radio Hour. I'm your host, Justine Ward, and each week we bring you a classic show from radio's golden age. It's the season for horror and mystery. The Hall of Fantasy was a series that brought frightening dramas to listeners. It was produced in Chicago for the Mutual Network starting in 1952. Horror was still popular on radio after television started to come in because you provide the visuals with your imagination. We have two episodes this week, starting with a classic horror story set in a European castle. After that, I will add a short track by the master of the macabre, Arch Obler. This is Hall of Fantasy, Castle Lavoca, first broadcast August 22nd, 1952 on Mutual. And now... and drove them as if his life depended on it. No one saw who rode inside the carriage. But on his heels there ran a pack of snarling, howling wolves. He said that Drago, Baron of Lavoca, was going to make a pact with Satan. In just a moment, the Hall of Fantasy will present the Castle of Lavoca. And now for tonight's story, an original radio drama by Richard Thorne entitled The Castle of Lavoca. We were on vacation in Europe. It was a warm summer's day. Doris and I had cycled out from town, intending to find some inn along the way at which we'd spend the night. Oh, what time is it, Grant? Oh, let me see. It's about uh, about a quarter after four, Doris. I think we'd better find some place to stay before it gets too late. Well, according to the map, there should be a little town about a mile away from here. Grant? Yes, dear? Look, over there. Where? Right over there. Hey. Why, it's an old... Feudal castle. That's just what it is. Hey, let's stop a minute. Right. Well, will you look at that? Oh, I, I've never seen anything like it. It looks like a, well, like history come to life. A walled fortress. Look at those three towers rising up from the walls. Oh, the whole thing seems to have been built in the form of a triangle. There only seems to be three sides to it. From what I can see from here, it looks to be in pretty good condition. I wonder how old it is. Hey, Dor, I- I've got an idea. It's too late tonight, but why don't we find the inn and then tomorrow morning see if we can't 
go through that place. That sounds pretty good. As a matter of fact, you know, I wouldn't mind spending a day or two around here. It's it's beautiful country. Well, I say we do it. What about you? <laughs> you twisted my arm. <laughs> Grant. Huh? Yes, dear? Maybe we shouldn't. Shouldn't what? Shouldn't go through that place. Well, why not? I don't know. It's it's just that suddenly I I felt cold inside. <laughs> You're just remembering a lot of stories about old castles and ghosts. There's nothing to worry about, Dor. The man who probably built that castle and all his descendants are only memories now. Memories can't hurt you. When we had first sighted the castle, I was quite surprised because there was no indication of its existence on the map I carried. And what Doris had felt... I had felt also. When I first looked upon it, I felt, as she had said, cold inside. What it was, I didn't know. But that feeling had passed, and the only feeling I had was one of enthusiasm for the adventure that was to come the following day. About a mile from the castle, we found the town indicated on the map, a little place called Lavoca. It was no more than a village with a population of a few hundred. The inn was on the other side of the town, and as we pedaled through, the townspeople looked at us curiously. It took us only a few minutes to reach the inn and to enter it. A tall, dark man sat at a table, and he looked up as we passed him. Then he turned away again, obviously lost in thought. We were in a large room full of tables. There was no such thing as a reception desk, save for the bar at one side of the room, which served a double purpose, a bar and a registration desk. A large man with pounds of extra flesh stood behind it. Are uh, you the proprietor? Do you uh, understand English? I do. (laughs) I was afraid... I wouldn't. It happens that I do. Well, we'd like a room for two or three days. I I hope you have something. All of my rooms are empty save one. It is occupied by the man you passed on your way in. I will be able to accommodate you. You are uh, American? Yes, that's right. I'm surprised to see you with the world so close to war. We won't be in this one. Perhaps. I do not have many visitors these days. The hospitality of my inn is offered to you. If I may be of service to you while you are here, please let me know. As a matter of fact, you can. In what way? Well, we, uh, we passed an old castle on our way here. Do you think it would be possible for you us You must to... mean Lavuka Castle. Why, well, don't know its name. It's laid out in the form of a... triangle. A... Yes. Yes, I know the castle. It has a particular significance to the people of this area. Well, can you tell us anything about it? Later. After you've had the evening meal, you shall hear of it. Come. I shall show you to your room. As he led us upstairs to our room, we passed again the man who sat alone at the table. He was staring at us and made no attempt to hide the fact As we went up the stairs to the second floor, I wondered why the innkeeper had seemed so afraid when I mentioned the castle. I had no time for further speculation, however, at least for the next hour. Our time was spent in cleaning up, and Doris kept talking of other things. 
Well, I'm ready to go back downstairs, Grant. What about you? Hey, look at the sunset, Doris. Oh, oh it's a beautiful sight, Grant. Grant? Yes? Look where I'm pointing to. Isn't that Laboca Castle? Yes, it is. Stands out so in the sunset that it, it seems to be on fire. Grant, did you watch the innkeeper's face when you asked him about the castle? He seemed surprised. I I wouldn't call it that. I, I'd call it frightened. And perhaps you're right. And perhaps we, we should forget about seeing that castle tomorrow. Perhaps we should start back. Well, we'll see. <laughs> you know, Dora, you make it seem so... Was so serious. We stood there by the window, looking out at the medieval structure that stood there at the base of the mountains. That afternoon, when we had first seen the castle, it had seemed to be a beautiful relic of a dead past. But as we watched it, bathed in the redness of the setting sun, it seemed to be a mass of molten rock. Little by little, the sun slipped down and the gray shades of dusk moved out towards the castle, advancing slowly, covering the walls with the dark shadows of night. And then it was gone from our sight, swallowed up in the darkness. I had a fantastic thought for a moment that Lavoca Castle was the dwelling place of... of death. Well, the meal was excellent and we were both quite hungry. At length... Well, it was over, and our host walked over to us. Some brandy, perhaps? Not for me. You? Or perhaps later. Not now. If you do not mind, I shall join you. Yes, of course. You say you wish to know about Lavoque Castle. Would you object to another at this table? I mean, another besides myself. Well, no, of course not. Marek? Yes? Marek, come here. They desire to know of Lavoca Castle. Uh, there are strangers here? Yes, you you must have seen us come in this afternoon. You, you were sitting right over there at that table. Oh, yes, yes, I remember. Uh, please, sit down, won't you? Mm. Thank you. Yeah. Yes, I know of the castle. Perhaps more than anyone. But we'd like to learn some of its history. I will tell you the story. Then we shall see whether you are still interested in Lavoca Castle. The castle was built centuries ago, sometime in the late 1600s. It was built by Drago, the first and only baron of Lavoca, a man renowned for his cruelty and his prowess in the arts of war. War was his life, the only life he knew, and he lived for the feel of a strong blade in his hand. He lived for one purpose, to kill. It is said that the only thing Drago feared was, was death. He dealt with it almost every day of his life, yet he feared it. He feared the day that he would die. It is said that he made a pact with Satan himself so that he would not die. This is the legend. One night, shortly after sunset, in the dead of winter, they say a carriage drove through here. A carriage drawn by four coal-black horses. Get out of there! Get out! The carriage, too, was black, and the driver was clothed in a livery of black. He whipped the horses and drove them as if his life depended on it. Get out of there! Get out! 
No one saw who rode inside the carriage, but on its heels there ran a pack of snarling, howling wolves. Those who saw what happened that night were frightened almost to death. The carriage drove straight to the gate of Lavoca Castle. And a huge drawbridge was lowered to admit the entrance. The carriage rumbled across it, but the pack of black wolves stayed outside. They stayed outside, and the sound of their howling voices drifted back to this town, and the people were afraid. People looked up towards the castle, and they said it was bathed in an eerie luminescence. The visitor to the castle was there for the better part of three hours. And then the drawbridge was lowered again, and the carriage rumbled out. It seemed to be going even faster. And the driver whipped and drove the horses. Yes, Till their mouths were white with foam and their eyes wide with fear. The carriage rushed through the center of the town, and the people were so afraid, they turned their eyes away, lest by looking upon it, they should die. who said they heard the sound of a crying baby coming from inside the carriage, but they thought they were mistaken. The following evening, the news was brought to them that the Baron's son had disappeared and was nowhere to be found. And as the man stood before them, telling the townspeople of what had happened, the shadows grew together in the night, and from the distance they heard... Listening to the tale of the Castle of Lavoca on tonight's journey down the corridors of the Hall of Fantasy. We'll return to our story in just a moment. And now back to tonight's story entitled The Castle of Lavoca. We sat there around the large oak table and listened to a story so fantastic it defied description. There were four of us in that room, the innkeeper, Doris, and myself, and Mark, the storyteller. He continued with his story. The shadows grew together in the night, and from the distance they heard the howling cry of a wolf. The face of the baron's servant blanched with fear, and he turned and made his way back to the castle. He never reached it alive. Well, of course, this is nothing but legend. Isn't that right? It is legend, yes, but it is also truth. But it can What Marek says is true. I would stake my life on it. Let him go on with the story. I'd, uh, I'd like a little brandy first. <laughs> I thought perhaps you might. For you? Thank you, no. Ah. Ah. Now then, uh, go on with your story. By your leave. As I said, they found the servant outside the castle gate, and there was a great uproar about his death. But the baron issued an edict that it was never to be discussed. And, of course, the people obeyed him, for by now they lived in superstitious fear of the baron. I must add that the night the carriage appeared, that night the baron's son was carried away. The war began. Of course, the baron went off to the war and distinguished himself in the field. The war was over in due time, and the Baron returned to Lavoca Castle. He lived a quiet life in the years that followed. But twenty-one years to the night his son disappeared, it happened again. Again it 
was a cold winter's night. The snow crunched under your feet and the air was brisk and biting. From the north, the wind began to blow. Then from out of the night, the carriage appeared again. It was exactly the same as that which had happened 21 years before. Get up! Get up there! It was the same driver, the same carriage, and it even appeared to be the same horses. It flashed through the town and up the road leading to the castle, and in the back of it, the devil dogs ran, snarling and howling. Until the carriage rolled into the castle sat outside as they had a generation before. But it was not for long, for in a few minutes the carriage appeared again. There was no doubt about it this time, for very clearly the townspeople heard... No, let me go! Let me go! In the name of... another moment the carriage was gone. The following day the townspeople learned that the Baron's wife had disappeared. They knew who had come to claim her. That night war broke out in Romania and the Baron hastened to join the conflict. If I understand you correctly, both times the carriage appeared, war broke out? That is correct. What happened then? Just as he had done before, the Baron distinguished himself in the war and returned to Laboca Castle. By this time, the Baron was almost 60. Peace reigned for a period of 40 years, and sometime during that time, the Baron disappeared. He died? I say he disappeared. When did he die? There are no records of his ever dying. They say he lies at rest in one of the catacombs beneath the castle, waiting. Waiting? Waiting for what? Waiting for the war. The war? The black carriage has appeared each time war begins, no matter where it happens. And in each war, there has been a report of a man who calls himself Baron Laboca, fighting in the battles. That's fantastic. Call it what you will, but when the last war began, the carriage appeared and drove straight up to the castle. I was but a boy then, and I saw it with my own eyes. The night before that, we heard the wolves. Each time the carriage appears, the wolves appear the night before to warn us of its coming, to let us know we should guard ourselves. Now that you have heard the story, do you still wish to visit Lovoka Castle? No. Yes. I don't care what you say. I can't bring myself to believe your story. I think it's nothing but superstitious nonsense. But, Grant... I'm sorry, darling. But I want to visit that castle. If you want, you can remain here. No, I'll go with you. What about you, Mark? Will you show us the way? Enter the castle with us? You say that in such a way that if I were to refuse, I would appear to be a coward. I shall go with you, American. Tomorrow afternoon will be all right with you? Yes. Let us have a drink to your trip. That's a good idea. Will uh, you join us, madame? Yes, I, I will. All right, then. To your trip tomorrow. To... Lavoca Castle. Uh, Lavoca Castle. Castle. We went upstairs to our room shortly after that. The story Mark had told had been quite long and the hour was late. We went to bed, yet neither of us could sleep. Grant. Yes, dear. Don't you think we should go home soon? Why? Well, 
How long have we been over here? Well, since the middle of May. Well, this is August 30th. I've, I've seen enough of Europe. I want to go home. I think three and a half months is enough time to spend... Well, all right, Dora. When we get back to Marat's, we'll make arrangements to go home. Good. About tomorrow... What's that? What? I, I heard an animal outside. Oh, that was just a dog, Dora. Go to sleep. All right. Good night. All right. the following afternoon. For some reason, we hadn't been able to get started until late in the afternoon. It was after three o'clock when we started out. We discarded our bicycles in favor of horses, which Mark had been able to procure for us. The trip up to Lavoca Castle was uneventful, and within an hour, we stood at the edge of the drawbridge, looking into the courtyard. Shall we go across? Of course. It doesn't show any signs of age. It has been perfectly preserved. I'll take you on a tour of the inside. We can leave the horses here. Uh, I'll give you a hand, Doris. That's all right, Grant. I can manage. All right. <clears throat> now, just follow me. Mark led across the courtyard and into the gray building. The huge wooden doors were slightly ajar at the entrance, and with an effort, Mark pushed them open and led us inside. We were in a huge hall, which must have served as both a reception hall and a dining place. From there, he led us into the baron's chambers, his wife's, which formed two sides of the massive triangle. Members of the retinue must have occupied the third side of the triangle. We visited each of the three towers which looked out across the countryside, giving a clear view of anything approaching. And then Marek led us down into the cells beneath the castle. Coming finally to another stairway, he turned to me. This leads down into the catacombs. Well, let's go down. Take a look at them. Perhaps we... Oh, nonsense, Dor. We both have flashlights. I see you brought a gun, Mark. Nothing could hurt us. Let's go. All right. Oh, it, it seems colder down here. Yes, it does. I shall show you where they say the day goes sleeping. What time is it, Grant? Why, it's, uh... Why, it's 7.30. Yes, we have been in the castle for several hours. We have been down here in the lower sections where there is no light for over an hour. I shall show you the Baron's resting place, and then we shall return to the inn. This is the chamber where he sleeps. Oh, Grant... There is someone in here. But this isn't a joke, is it, Mark? I have never been down here before. It is no joke, as you call it. I want to have a look at him. No, Grant, don't. I can't believe it. This man seems to be sleeping, yet... Yet he's not breathing. Let's get out of here, Grant. All right. I've been nervous ever since I heard that dog last dog. night. You say you heard a dog? Yes. There are no dogs in this area. No animal will come within miles into town and castle. The animal's spirit. That was no dog you heard last night. You mean? We have no time to lose. We must get out of here. Follow me. Yes. It was the warning you heard. I knew we shouldn't have come. Don't worry, Dor. We'll get out of this. I wish I felt that sure. Uh, the horses are out in the courtyard. It won't be long now. 
horses around the others. You're listening to the Old Time Radio Hour, broadcast each week over the World Wide Web with your host, Justine Ward. Next, we have a story of a mad scientist who has figured out how to cheat death. The vivid drama will have you on the edge of your seat. The Hall of Fantasy, Return from Death, first broadcast April 6, 1953, on Mutual. And now... The Hall of Fantasy. Welcome to the Hall of Fantasy. Welcome to the series of radio dramas dedicated to the supernatural, the unusual, and the unknown. Come with me, my friends. We shall descend to the world of the unknown and forbidden, down to the depths where the veil of time is lifted, and the supernatural reigns as king. Come with me and listen to the tale of... The 
return from death. You mean that you can bring him back to life? I know I can. There, everything's ready. Will you step back, David? Of course. How to turn on the machine. You'll see for yourself what I mean. How to induce the charge. How much voltage are you using? 25,000. That's enough. Now, look at him, David. Wait. He's alive. He was dead, but now... Now he's alive. In just a moment, the Hall of Fantasy will present The Return from Death. And now for our story. An original tale of fantasy by Richard Thorne entitled The Return from Death. Dr. Jason Sinclair was a brilliant man. He was one of my instructors at medical school. He gave of his knowledge freely, creating in the students a desire to learn, imparting some of his own enthusiasm for his subject into the minds of his students. I always looked forward to his classes. After I received my degree, I lost track of him for several years. But one evening when I was ready to leave the research center... Hello? May I speak to David Cummings? Speaking. David, this is Jason Sinclair. Dr. Sinclair, it's good to hear from you. I was wondering if you'd remember me. Of course I would. All of us have studied under you owe you more than we can ever repay. What are you doing this evening? Well, actually nothing. I'd like to see you, David. Why don't you come over to the house tonight? It'll be a pleasure. You still live at the same place? Yes, the world may change, David, but Jason Sinclair and his habits don't. I'll be expecting you about eight. See you, David. Come in, come in. Good to see you, Dr. Sinclair. You can forget the doctor part of it, David. Call me Jason. You're not in school now. How long has it been? I've I've lost all track of time. You received your degree in 1943. It's been ten years. <laughs> I didn't realize it was so long. You haven't changed, you know, Jason. You're only ten years older, that's all. Oh, do you remember my daughter, David? I believe she was that's in... That's right. She was in my class. How are you, Elaine? Fine, David. It's good to see you again. Are you working with your father? Yes. Sit down, David. Sit down. Can I pour you a drink? Not right now, thanks. Are you still with the college, Jason? No, I left there some time ago. Oh, really? How come? I wanted to devote more time to research. I see. David, are you happy with your present position? Well, I hadn't stopped to think about it. I guess I am. That's a shame. Why do you say that? I was wondering if you'd like to work with me. I don't know. I hope you'll forgive me for hesitating, Jason, but I've... I've been with Associated Chemical for several years. I understand, David. It's only natural that you'd hesitate. Why, of course. Dad doesn't want to push you into this, David. You're perfectly free not to accept. Of course, I would like to have you with me. I can guarantee you more than you're getting now. Well, that's a pretty good inducement. I'd like to work with you, David. I'm sure you'll find it interesting. What are you working on, Jason? Come, I'll take you downstairs. Then you can see for yourself. Do you remember some of our discussions years ago about death and the possibility of bringing back to life a man that medical science had pronounced dead? Yes, I do. Well, that's what I've been working on. Oh? Have you had any success? Quite a lot. 
more than I'd expected this early. I'll show you. The rabbit you see in the table is dead. I'd like to have you examine it, if you will. Yes, he's dead, I'd say, for, uh, for at least two hours. Very close, David. A few minutes longer, that's all. What do you intend doing? You'll see. I've already given him the preliminary injection, David, at the same time. You know, of course, that all life has a connection with electricity. We think we send out small charges of electricity along the nerve network, which in turn activates our muscles. You mean that you can bring him back to life? I know I can. There, everything's ready. Will you step back, David? Of course. Now to turn on the machine. You'll see for yourself what I mean. Now to induce the charge. How much voltage are you using? 25,000. That's enough. Now look at him, David. What? He's alive. This animal's alive. Yes, David. But there's something strange about him. How do you mean? I don't know. I, I can't explain it. You're imagining it, David. You saw him dead, now you see him alive. The sight is foreign to your mind. Perhaps. I've learned the secret, David. Now we can restore to the living those who have passed into the realm of death. Although Jason Sinclair passed over my objection, I still couldn't get the thought from my mind. There was something strange about the animal. Something seemed to be missing. We went back upstairs. Jason left the room to get the papers he'd written explaining the various steps he'd taken in his experiments. I was left alone with Elaine. Did you see it? Yes. It's amazing. Are you going to work with him? I think so. David, I wish you wouldn't. Why not? Did you notice the rabbit after he returned it back to life? Yes. David, didn't it look foreign to you as if something were missing? I noticed something, but I, I couldn't put my finger on it. That's what I mean. David, I don't think you should do it. I don't see why, Elaine. Think what a boon this will be to the world. Will it, David? Well, of course. I'm not too sure about that. Elaine, you of all people should have faith in your father. I don't, though, David. Why not? Because I don't believe that once an animal is dead, it should be returned to life. It should remain dead. Because when it dies, its spirit dies with it. And when Dad brings these creatures back, the animal lives, true enough. But, David, it's like an automaton. The body may live, but the thing which gave it personality is dead. I'm still going to work with him, Elaine. Do you know what you're getting into? Dad is a precisionist. He'll experiment and experiment until finally he'll want to try it on a man. And where is that man going to come from, David? Where is he going to come from? Back now to our story. An original tale of fantasy by Richard Thorne entitled The Return from Death. I was in the house of Jason Sinclair. A few minutes before, I'd been witness to a scene which had amazed me. As I saw it, I made up my mind to work with Jason. We went back upstairs, and when Jason left the room, his daughter tried to dissuade me from my decision. I'm serious, David. Where is he going to come from? 
I don't know. Then you're going to go through with it? Yes. I warned you, David. Remember that. Here are the papers, David. Oh, thank you. Look them over. They contain all the notes I've made on the experiment. I will, Jason. Are you going to work with me? Yes. Good. You'll have to give the organization for which you're working now at least two weeks' notice. Of course. If you like, you can live here with us. Do you have any relatives, David? No. Glad to hear that. I'll see you in two weeks. Two weeks later, I moved in with Jason Sinclair and we began working. We conducted experiments making a few changes, altering the content of the preparatory injection, resetting the amount of voltage required, progressing from the lower stages of animal life ever higher. And then one night, he told me what he intended doing next. David, have you heard of Terry Whalen? Whalen? He... Oh, yes. He's going to die next week for the murder of that old man. That's right. We're going down to the prison tomorrow to see him. Why, Dad? Whalen has no relatives. No one to bury him after his death except for the state. What do you mean? I believe we can have access to his body after he's executed. You mean you intend using him as a subject? That's correct. But if we're successful, Jason, won't it, won't it be dangerous to return a killer back to life? Not if we watch him. Not if we can destroy his urge to kill. Dad, I don't think you should do it. He's a dangerous man. Nonsense, Elaine. We'll increase the amount of voltage, David. Enough to destroy that part of his brain which motivates his desire to kill. Perhaps he'll completely change. Use someone else, Dad, not Terry Whalen. Where would I get someone else, Elaine? We arose early the following day and drove out to the prison. Jason was well-known and thought highly of in official circles. We were allowed to talk to the warden, and Jason convinced him that Wayland's body would be used for medical research, but he neglected to tell him how it would be used. Then we were allowed to talk to Wayland. Just a few minutes, Dr. Sinclair. I understand. Uh, who are you? My name is Jason Sinclair, Mr. Wayland. Uh, what do you want? talk to you. So talk? You ought to be executed next week, Mr. Whalen. Look, if you come here just to tell me that, I got a surprise for you. I already know it. I'm a doctor, Terry. We'd like to use you as the subject of an experiment. Sure, sure. Go right ahead. Not now, Terry. After you've been executed. Ah, what do you mean? Where are you from? You from one of those medical colleges? Listen, I don't go for that stuff. No, sir. If that's what no, you're here Terry. for, I... I propose to bring you back to life. You mean... You mean after I'm dead? That's right. You're crazy. <laughs> you sound like you've been in stir too long. <laughs> I'm serious. We can do it. You mean... <laughs> you mean you can actually bring me back to life? That's right. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> ah, and they can't punish me a second time, can they? They can't kill me twice. <laughs> you agree to it then? Sure. Sure, Sawbones. Sure, I agree to it. Anything... Anything to get another chance. <laughs> Jason made arrangements for an ambulance to pick up Whalen's body a short time after the execution. That night, the night Whalen settled his death with the state, a storm broke. We stayed at the house and waited. The ambulance was already at the prison, waiting for its passenger. What time is it? Almost 12. 
I wish you hadn't arranged all this, then. Nonsense, Elaine. Well, that is 12 o'clock. The time is to die. It's only taken three hours, even in this storm, to get back here, Jason. That's right. When they do, David, they'll have Wayland with them. there at the house. The storm was the perfect background for the strange mood which had seized hold of each of us. A short time after three, the ambulance pulled into the driveway and we went down and opened the basement door. They brought him in and sat him on a table. Yes, that's right. Thank you. You ready, David? I guess so. I'll prepare the hypodermic then. We'll give him 20 cc's of this. No more than that? Of course not. There. That does it. Now, help me attach the wires. Dealing with the death has always frightened me. It's foolish, my boy. My scientist, you should never allow yourself to be subjective about things. You must be completely objective. There. I believe that'll do it. Dr. Sinclair. Anything wrong, David? Maybe. Maybe we better not go through with this. We can't turn back now. No, I suppose not. Shall we begin? Switch it on. Just a pleasant sound, hasn't it, David? What's the reading? 10,000. Increase the charge. The reading? 15,000. 20,000. 23,000. 24,000. 25,000. Shall we stop? No. You must destroy his desire to kill. 26,000. 27,000. That's enough. Turn it off. Place the contact microphone in his chest, David. Yes, Jason. Listen, David. You're listening to the sound of his heart, David. The beating heart of a dead man. We've succeeded. We've brought him back from death. Back now to our story. An original tale of fantasy by Richard Thorne, entitled The Return from Death. It was a wet and storming night. Jason Sinclair hovered over the body on the table in the center of his basement laboratory. I stood just behind him, watching a dead man return to life. Listen, David. You're listening to the sound of his heart. They've brought him back from death. Remove the contact, Mike. Jason, look at his eyes. They're open. Yes, I see. Whalen, can you hear me? Answer me, Whalen. Think what this means, David. He can tell us what it was like to be dead. The first man ever to know the secret. Whalen, answer me. The straps taken off. All right, let's loosen them. 
Uh, how do you feel, Waylon? Look out, Chasen. He's getting off the table. Nothing to be afraid of, David. He didn't limp before, did he? No. Some of the motor section of the brain must have been damaged. He's coming toward us. Don't move. You might frighten him. Look at his eyes, Jason. They're not human. Quiet, David. He's trying to say something. I can't understand you, Waylon. What are you trying to say? He's patting you on the back. Trying to thank me, no doubt. All right, that's enough, Waylon. I understand you appreciate... Take his hand away from my throat, David. That's enough, Waylon. Ah! Look out, David. Let's see him. You knocked him out. Yes. You shouldn't have done that. Are you serious, Jason? I was protecting myself and you for that matter. He wouldn't have hurt me. You didn't seem to think that when he had his fingers around your throat. Well, I admit that I was frightened. All right. What are we going to do with him? Well, keep him down here. Teach him to talk again. Seems to have lost the power of coherent speech. Look at him, Jason. Why? Is there anything wrong? I don't know. But looking at his face now, I have the strangest feeling that he's not really a human being anymore. That something's missing. That he's a mad, vicious creation of a devil. You're talking like a fool, David. Perhaps you're tired. I know I am. He can't get out of here. He'll lock the doors and the windows are barred. Let's go upstairs. All right, Jason. But remember what I said. We placed him back on the table, taking the precaution of strapping him down in case he should awaken. Then Jason locked the doors and took the keys with him. We went upstairs. I've been waiting for you. Then I thought you were asleep. No, no, I couldn't sleep. Should have come downstairs and joined us then, Elaine. You brought him back? Yes. How did he react? Not as well as he might have, Elaine. Anything wrong? No, nothing. He tried to kill your father. What? He was merely trying to thank me, David. He's probably suffering from a sort of amnesia. He doesn't realize his own strength. He's like a baby. You know that's not true, sir. He's an inhuman, vicious killer. Oh, you should never have done this, Dad. Would you both be quiet? I'm tired of listening to you. What? I don't like to admit it. I know. I've been wrong. I'm sorry, my dear. I lost my temper. I shouldn't have. I know it's because I think you're both partially right. How do you mean, Jason? There is something inhuman about that thing that was a man downstairs. I noticed it tonight when his hands were around my throat. In his eyes, that intangible something that makes an animal a man is missing. In its place, I see... The eyes of a madman with no soul. Oh, what are we going to do? I don't know. Maybe we haven't failed, sir. Maybe because we're tired, we think we have. It may look completely different to us after a few hours of sleep. I said, oh, what was that? came from downstairs. Whelan. We had him strapped to the table. He must have gotten loose. That was the door. He's trying to knock the door down. We have to stop him. But how? Elaine, oh. get my gun. All right, Dad. I'll be right back. I tried not to admit it, David, but that was only lying to myself. You and Elaine brought me to my senses. You were right, right all along, about the rabbit, about the other animals, and especially about Wayland. He must be destroyed. He's a monster without feeling. Here, Dad, here's the gun. Thanks. I'm going down there and... You oh. don't have to go down there. That was the door. Listen. 
Listen, he's coming up the stairs. Turn the lights out, David. Yes, sir. I'm going out in the hall to meet him. No, Dad. No, let him come in here. We'll stay right over here on this side of the room. All right, Dave. Be quiet. He's coming. I don't want to shoot him. We'll have to take him alive. You'll have to shoot him. Oh, yes, Dad. He's just outside the door. David, I'm afraid. Be quiet. There he is. He's searching for me. Shh, be quiet. He's looking this way. Use the gun, Jason. Now, David. Yes. I see it. It's composed. It looks human again. Perhaps we're not meant to tamper with the natural laws of life and death, David. I see that now. But it took Wayland's return from death to prove it to me. Tonight's tale of the unusual, the terrifying, the unknown. Join us again when next we journey down the corridors of the Hall of Fantasy to hear another strange tale of the supernatural. All characters and events portrayed in these programs are fictional, and any similarity to actual events or persons, living or dead, is purely coincidental. Next is a short horror story from Arch Obler's LP, Drop Dead, entitled A Day at the Dentist. It's from a script used in a live show from the 1930s. You're still there? Good. Well, permit me to try you with the humorous type of horror. Horror can't have humor? <laughs> Listen to A Day at the Dentist. <sighs> Any more patience, nurse? Yes, one just came in. He hasn't an appointment, but he says it's an emergency. Oh, uh-huh. do I know him? What's his name? His name is Fred Houseman. Houseman? Fred? Are you sure? Yes, do you know him? No, oh no. Uh, show him in. And Miss Case, you can go home now. But, Doctor, it isn't time. I said you could go home now. Yes, Doctor. The doctor will see you now. Oh, thank you. Come in, sir. Come in. I'll see you in the morning, nurse. And when you go out, lock the outer door. Mr. Houseman will be my last patient. Yes, Doctor. I said, come in, sir. Come in. 
Thank you, Doctor, for seeing me without an appointment. It's my pleasure. Oh, uh, will you get in the chair? Thank you. You I used to come here to Dr. Charles. I didn't know you'd taken over. (laughs) Are you all comfortable? Yes, indeed. Now, what seems to be the trouble? Well, I have a toothache. Oh, yes, we can fix that in a hurry. Nothing serious. Say, are you sure it's painless, Doctor? It's funny me saying that, but here I used to play football and wrestle, but there's one thing I sure can't stand is a little pain. You know, drilling and things like that. Oh, no. No pain. Well, the straps. Why are you strapping me in? Don't be alarmed. In order to keep this painless, there must be absolutely no movement. Oh. There you are. Snug as a bug in a rug. That's a curious thing to call you, isn't it? You're no bug. You're the lover type, aren't you? Why? When I first heard your name, I wasn't sure, but when you came through the door, I... What the hell is this? Mary Elson. Mary? What do you mean? Surely you haven't forgotten Mary, lover boy. What you did to her was very special, wasn't it? Worth remembering. Worth talking about. Worth slobbering over. Who the hell are you? Her husband. Let me out of here. You won't break those straps. They've been waiting just for you. That's why I bought out Dr. Charles' practice. Because I knew that sooner or later you'd come back to him. The painless dentist. Now you're here. Now you're here. The drill. What are you going to do? Nothing important. Just going to drill a little hole to let out some of the lover boy. Oh, no. What are you going to do? What? Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Please. Please. No. 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 Yes, lover boy. You have been listening to the Old Time Radio Hour, broadcast each week over the World Wide Web. You can subscribe at no charge through Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or RSS. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you can join us again next week for another hour of entertainment from the golden age of radio. Until then, this is your host, Justine Ward, saying so long for now. (laughs) 